raising uh, Russian support for President Putin and animosity toward the West? Well, it's it's clear that it's being portrayed by the Russian government as an aggressive aggressive move by um, Ukraine. As a matter of fact, one of the considerations now on the table, which is being discussed, is should Russia declare Ukraine a terrorist country, a country that promotes terror? So. No matter how you cut it, it's benefited the Russians. It's just, it is going to benefit the Russians by the fact that, that Russians are going to use this to, to gain traction to say, look, Ukraine's a, a terrorist state. And yeah, I, I think, um, the approval rating, uh, for Putin based on how he is conducting the war and how the people in Russia feel about it, he's doing just fine. And I don't I don't think he needed the drone strike or the attempted assassination to strengthen that. I think it's overall just kind of going his direction. Judge, one of the things that, that people tend to forget, and I just watched, I looked at some of the media today regarding the celebration, you know, the, the VE Day, Victory Europe Day uh, celebration that happened in, in Red Square. And I, I, I'll never forget, there's this... Uh, thing in the U.S., in the Daily Mail, in the U.K. Daily Mail saying, oh, only one tank was displayed. In, it's like they were just showing a T-34, which was the tank that was used during World War II. It's like they probably don't have many of those, but they were trying to say, oh, this shows that the Russians are depleting resources. Like, no, it's symbolic. Right. It's, it's, right. it's what they used during World War II. So I'm just, I, I think the media here, uh, misportrays the Russian people's view of Putin and, and the war. It's, it's, it's really dangerous. Should we expect, should we expect more um, language like we heard from Dmitry Medvedev? Well, it's time uh, to get Vladimir Zelensky or should we expect more restraint and silence and revenge is a dish that tastes best when it's eaten cold, like we seem to be getting from President Putin? Well, again, I watch what the media says about the current situation, and they're saying, oh, the Russians fought to a standstill, being left with uh, the necessary uh, uh, kind of digging in and allowing a war of attrition to take place. Like, I don't think the Russians were forced into it, Judge. I think the Russians wanted the war of attrition because they're going to win it. It's like slugging it out uh, where you're the defense and your enemy the Ukrainians keep coming at you and, and expending their resources uselessly. Why? That's what they're planning. So I don't believe for a minute that the Russians have to change what they're doing all that much to be successful. Uh, Here, uh, yeah. Here's uh, here's what President Zelensky believes. Now, this was taped for uh, May 8 yesterday. They're yeah. sort of victory in Europe day. But he did. Right. Right. Um, it's very stylized. It's highly produced. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it's in uh, Ukrainian with uh, English translation. Um, you let me know. Let us know what you think of it. Sure. We fight now so that no one ever again enslaves other nations and destroys other countries. And all those old evils that modern Russia is bringing back will be defeated just as Nazism was defeated. We will not lose what we have gained. We will return everything captured by the enemy. We will rebuild what was destroyed, and together we will protect it all. We do not yet know the date of our victory, but we know that it will be a holiday for all of Ukraine, for all of Europe, for all of the entire free world. An actor, uh, 
a serious leader appealing to Ukraine, uh, looking for an off-ramp uh, for a uh, spring offensive that's not coming or something else? So let's start with the spring offensive first. It, it's going to be pitiful if it happens to any degree at all. I mean, they're in danger right now, Judge, of squandering the resources they've just recently been given by NATO and other uh, uh, allied nations to include the weapons we've given them. I just, I don't see it being successful. And again, I'm not taking sides here. Secondly, Zelensky's claim that we're going to retake everything. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily know what, um, what universe he's in, but that this is not this universe because that's again, not going to happen at least for the next five years, if at all. And I, I want to remind people, again, I don't want to sound, I'm not taking sides here, but Ukraine is cut from the same cloth as the Soviet Union. They all used to be the Soviet Union. So when I talk about, when Zelensky talks about, you know, the Russians defeating the Russians, it's like, this is a, something essentially that needs to be resolved by the Russians and Ukrainians without outside influence. I just don't believe it's in our, in our interest or NATO's interest to get in the middle of a dispute between what two two nations, which fundamentally used to be one. It's a civil war in many ways, and I just don't think it's in our interest to jump in there. So what he's saying, I think, is he's trying to garner, he's trying to put the best face on what I think is a terrible situation. And the answer is, yes, it's time to, to look for peace and, uh, and sue for do, peace. Yes. Do your uh, sources tell you that the American government, whether it's uh, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, or the Oval Office, understand that the spring offensive either is not going to happen or will be a paltry and symbolic only or will be a miserable, crushing, catastrophic defeat for Ukraine. So you have to understand, Judge, and I think you you hear this from other folks, our government is torn on this. There's no... Uh, monolithic or unified voice on this. You have the neocons, uh, Victoria Newland, Tony Blinken, who want the war. They, they want to continue this. I don't think that they would do anything. I think if their mother signed up to be on the Ukrainian side and, and, and they knew they would lose, they'd still send their mother into battle. I don't think they care. I think they want the conflict. Uh, I think they feel that, uh, to use a, a communist term, the the ends the the the, uh, the 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 ends the ends justify the means, and so that's what they're trying to do here. They think that that, that weakening Russia, no matter what it takes, even if it means sacrificing the Ukrainians, is worth it. So I don't think that they're pushing for it. I think others within the White House, within the Pentagon, are starting to recognize that the current configuration and weapons available plus troop strength does not equate to a potential victory by Ukraine over Russia. So I think there are saner voices now being heard, but I don't think necessarily they're going to be the ones in the room that Biden picks to go with, unfortunately. So uh, over the weekend, there was a bizarre uh, murky report that a Russian hypersonic missile had struck a, an underground bunker in Ukraine that was a mm -hmm. uh, hundred meters underground. Right. And there were British, Polish and American generals in there who did not emerge alive. Um, what do you make of this kind of a report? I'm assuming it's untrue, but I don't, I don't know who would have put it out there and what's to be gained by it. Yeah. The, or, yeah, could, yeah. It, or could it be true? And we don't know it. 
Well, we'll, we'll find out, I think, soon if it is or not. What The Russians have introduced some very effective new weapons. Uh, some of those are hybrid hypersonic weapons where they uh, they basically go subsonic until they get to a certain point. Then they go up high and come down super darn fast and, and penetrate things. So I, I do know that the Russians are being very effective in using new technologies, or I should say adapting technology to the current war. And uh, Ukraine's having a hard time dealing with those technologies. Even our weapon systems don't necessarily deal with them. So I, I think that may be part of this, is trying to create a perception that there are uh, challenges relating to protecting those inside of the country. Uh, would would the Russians hit a bunker like that with uh, where they know uh, foreign advisors are? I don't think so. I don't think the Russians are looking to go down that path at this point. They don't need to. I think they're winning. And if they're winning, there's no need to be more aggressive and go after these targets. Plus, I, I do believe a lot of the reported attacks on civilian infrastructure, Judge, based on what I'm looking at and and and, and uh, reports I, I hear, I think a lot of destruction of civilian targets are actually Ukrainian anti-missile missiles coming down and hitting populated centers. So mm. I think that's something else that's going on that's, that's not being proper. I want to I ask you about uh, a few other reports. One sure. is that the Ukrainians claim to have shot down um, a, a hypersonic. Right. Missile. I saw that report. This thing goes 10 times the speed of sound. How could the Ukrainians shoot it down? So, yeah, I think it's supposedly with a Patriot. And I, I'm skeptical because, again, the folks I've talked to, I've talked to several folks who dealt with, it, who helped design the Patriot and recognize how it works. It's there's very little prospect of a Patriot missile taking down something that's traveling uh, at hypersonic speeds. It's just statistically, it's very difficult to imagine. You have to have something that travels essentially the same speed as a hypersonic missile with great precision, and I don't think that's available at this point. So I'm skeptical. I think we'll have to see what the reports say in the end. I don't feel comfortable to commenting based on what's out there to make an assessment, but I don't, I don't believe it's true based on everything I know about the technology. The other uh, report is of uh, Russian and Polish uh, fighter jets playing. I can't say in a dogfight because they weren't shooting at each other, but uh, coming very, very close to each other, taunting each other over, uh, over the, in the skies over uh, Western Ukraine. Now, if that is true, what were the Polish jets doing there? That's NATO over Ukraine. Right. I don't doubt it at all. I mean, remember, Judge, during the Cold War, we would do things very aggressively to each other. I mean, we're talking about, you know, submarines going after submarines. We're talking about aircraft tapping each other. So I don't doubt it at all. And I think the Polish were there because the Polish, more than any other nation, are mostly interested in going to war with Russia. They, they, the Poles, I think would love an opportunity to mix it up with the Russians. And I, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think anybody would benefit from that. But the Poles clearly have an aggressive attitude regarding Russia. And yeah, I think they let their pilots go up there and mix it up a little bit. I, again, part, part, the biggest danger to, to peace is miscalculation or an aggressive move that results in, in, in an expanded war. And something like this could result in in an expanded war because of miscalculation. Um, I want to show you a, a clip now of um, yeah, Jenny Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner Group. He's very angry and very animated. Yeah. Now, you're familiar with Blackwater and what uh, they did for the American government. I know you're familiar with it. But can yes. you imagine Eric Prince, who ran Blackwater, 
speaking publicly about Donald Rumsfeld or General Petraeus, the way the head of the Wagner Wagner group is speaking publicly about the Russian defense minister and the Russian uh, commander in chief of all the troops. There's a lot of expletives in here. When he turns over his shoulder to point, he's pointing at a, a pile of what he says are dead bodies, Wagner fighters. It's blurred, so you can't see them. The rest is uh, crystal clear. Yeah. Wow. Now he sends us back to off that, I understand. I yeah. also understand that the uh, Russian high command has given him a former or still Russian general to sort of coordinate things uh, between himself uh, and, and the military with respect to logistics and supplies. But an outburst uh, like like that, what is it intended to to produce? Well, the, 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 there's differences, bright contrasts and differences between Blackwater and the Russians. First off, Prigozhin and the whole Wagner organization was designed to essentially ex- exercise itself as a tool of foreign policy, doing things that the Russian government and the Russian constitution says they can't do. It's, it's outside the law. So that's a little bit different than Eric Prince. And I, I know Eric, and I don't want to badmouth Eric here. I think Eric did things that he thought was completely legal and ethical that were on the periphery. Remember, and Wagner is the main water, never going to be thing in declaring victory. So there's another bright difference. And again, I think this is because Putin wants uh, something that's 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 outside the law, the Russian law, that that'll do his bidding. So you get what you pay for, and and so I have no sympathy for Prigozhin. I have no sympathy for Wagner. Uh, it, it's a volunteer organization. He's just pointed out. It's like, okay, you volunteered, and you're dead. I'm sorry. I have no sympathy. And if this is going to be a military operation, then it needs to be a military operation, and you run it as such. So this is where, as much as again, I don't like taking sides on either side. This is kind of stupid. Uh, this is not the way to run a war. If you're going to run a war, put professional soldiers up front. You should run it in such a way that you have discipline, accountability, and for goodness sake, uh, uh, unity of command. That's part of the problem here. As, as, as a guy right. been a, unity of command is not the strong suit of the Russians right now. So the Russians right. well, well, Okay, so when Blackwater worked for the U.S. government, uh, were American... Uh, uh, generals and colonels like you in uniform commanding Blackwater, no. even though they were civilians. No, no, we were not. As a matter of fact, uh, if you read, we've talked about Darkheart before. I actually, in Afghanistan, we would come up and bump into these guys because they were under CIA's command and control. They would actually run, run at work in parallel to our, our Green Beret Special Forces guys. As a matter of fact, I had to handle two, two, uh, Blackwater KIAs. CIA wasn't around to handle them, so I ended up having to handle the, the casualties because CIA abandoned them. Trust me, it's, it's so, yeah, not a KIA case. is killed in action. Killed in action, yeah. Two, K, two, two of the Blackwater guys were killed in action. I think it was Coast. I have to go back and look. But there's nobody there. Literally, 
these the, the bodies show up in the middle of the night at Bagram. CI is not there to deal with it, so I have to do the entire graves registration thing and everything else because CI abandoned them. So I'm just saying, as much as I'm unsympathetic uh, to this issue, I mean, I understand how these guys volunteer to go do things, but Judge, again, Blackwater was never our main effort to go defeat the enemy. They were on the periphery doing special operations type things. Okay. So Prigozhin in this issue... I'm I'm completely unsympathetic, and I I don't think it's the best way to run a war. Does Prigozhin so. operate on his own, or do Russian generals tell him where to move his people? No, I think I think he reports to Putin, and 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 the generals are probably afraid to deal with him. I think the whole logistics thing is the generals getting back at him for being resentful of his uh, methodology and, and direct work for Putin. He has okay. a direct line to Putin, so whatever happens, put it's on Putin's shoulders, as far as I'm concerned. So. Uh, switching gears to another sure. uh, area of which you are a student, which is the intersection of uh, politics and um, intelligence. Uh, over the weekend, RFK Jr., uh, famously now challenging Joe Biden for the uh, Democratic nomination for president, right. gave an interview in which he said publicly what people have been whispering for a couple of generations, that the CIA killed his father and his uncle. Has that type of talk ever been common uh, amongst the younger generation of intelligence agents who were obviously not in the intelligence community in 1963? From high school on, Judge, I was instructed to think critically. And even in high school, a, a, a Professor Dombrowski read to us a great deal of details, and I've studied it since then. And there's peculiarities that the Warren Commission refused to actually examine. The moment you have a commission that's supposed to be on a fact-finding, truth-finding expedition and comes back with a narrative, that to me compromises uh, that whole uh, chapter and tells me that there's something they're hiding. So uh, having been a guy who had to be a whistleblower regarding uh, 9-11 issues, I too do, in my own experience, Judge, I do tend to believe that there's something there. Now, it, it, it is everything that, that that he's saying correct? I don't know, but to me, the fact that it was never adequately explained or resolved regarding the circumstance and the lone gun, gunman and and all the other shots that can't be explained, there there may be something. Well, there. Remember, during that time, just like they went after Trump, I think JFK was going to do some things against the intelligence community and against the Pentagon that the permanent bureaucracy didn't like. So would they be willing to go that far to be participate or direct in an assassination? It's very possible. I still think Oswald was a dupe. I think if you go back and watch Oswald and, and when he's in front of the media, uh, he, I, he looks bewildered about why he's there. Uh, did he, was he part of it? I think he was part of it. I just don't think he thought he was the guy that pulled the trigger. So I think there's things that, that, uh, I need to be looked at still. I, I'm just, I'm very skeptical. I don't believe the official narrative, if that's what you're asking. And why are the JFK files still, still secret, still sealed, I, even though Congress ordered them opened? I know. It's, you have to ask yourself. I mean, you're, you're a judge. You've, you've had to deal with, uh, with issues relating to, uh, uh, records which need to be opened or not opened or, uh, sealed. I, I don't get it. And again, this is part of our system at this point, Judge, where there are deep, dark secrets, some of which I still know, others know, that uh, the government refuses to give up. 
And it's just, it's just shameful that we live in a system that is so Stalinist in so many ways still. Tony Schaefer, always a pleasure, no matter what we're talking about. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, sir. If you like what you saw, tell your friends to like us. And if you haven't subscribed, like us yourself and subscribe. More as we get it. Uh, Verdict in the uh, Trump rape case might be coming today. You'll hear it here. Judge Napolitano, we're judging freedom.